Aging Matters is sponsored in part by the Aging Life Care Association, an organization of aging life care professionals. Aging life care professionals offer guidance, advocacy, and support for older adults and their families in order to maximize quality of life. An aging life care professional can be there for your loved one when you can't be. More information about the Aging Life Care Association is available at www.midatlanticalca.org. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERALP Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Approximately one in three people in the United States between ages 65 and 74 has hearing loss, and nearly half of those older than 75 have difficulty hearing. Management of hearing loss is based on addressing underlying causes, while treatment can include hearing aids, other assistive listening devices, and rehabilitation. My guest today is Dr. Patrick Mayberger, an otolaryngologist with the ENT Medical Group of Washington. He's going to talk about hearing loss among older adults, including causes, symptoms, diagnosis, treatment, and prevention. He's also going to discuss what to know about hearing aids and assistive listening devices. So welcome, Dr. Mayberger, and thanks for joining me today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Cheryl. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, I want to start by getting a bit of a, say, physiology lesson here. Explain how does hearing work in our ear? So it's actually a pretty incredible uh, feat of... uh of evolution. So it's essentially when the sound waves come through, they enter our ear canal, sort of focused by our oracle or the, the ear, the ear lobe, uh, and focused or into the, uh, into the ear canal. And, uh, within the ear canal, the first thing we see when we look in is an eardrum and that acts just like uh, a drum head would on a, on a, on a set of drums. The sound waves push that, uh, that drum head in, that drum is connected to three sets of uh, tiny bones, the smallest bones in the body. And that mechanical movement is uh, transmitted through the eardrum, through those three bones. And those three bones are then connected to the cochlea, which is the organ of hearing. And those, uh, that movement of the sound waves then hits a, a membrane on the cochlea that transmits that movement into fluid into this sort of snail-shaped, fluid-filled canal. And within that canal is this lining of, of uh, hairs. You may have heard of hair cells. They are these little uh, sensors that when the uh, sound waves create a wave in the fluid, moves those little hair cells. Each hair cell corresponds to a frequency of sound, and it's organized from high frequency to low frequency. And so, say, for instance, a... Uh, a middle C frequency hits the middle C frequency hair cell, pushes it over, and that sends an electrical signal on the nerve from the cochlea to the brain, and it tells your brain that you're hearing middle C. And so all these different uh, frequencies that we're hearing when somebody's talking or hearing the cicadas outside or birds 
correspond each to a, a little hair cell and it all gets organized and translated within the brain and we we hear. Isn't it amazing as you described the process, I thought, how how so much we often take for granted this really incredible ability to hear. Yeah, it is a, it's a remarkable, comp, more complicated than I ever realized until I started learning about it, uh, feat of engineering. Yeah. Well, and that is a good segue to my next question about hearing loss. Explain mm-hmm. to us what you see. What is age-related hearing loss, and about what age does it commonly occur? Interestingly enough, I would say it probably starts almost from birth. Uh, what you really notice it, though, is probably, as you, as you sort of alluded to in your introduction, probably about the fifth, sixth, seventh decade uh, of life is when you really start to notice it. Because of that arrangement in the cochlea, the high frequency uh, is the first to get uh, is is the closest. Sorry to the um, to those little three bones. So it's the the first area of the cochlea that gets uh, damaged. So we start to lose high frequency hearing loss first. And there actually are these little apps that I think were developed probably about ten years ago on phones with very high frequency alerts. A fifteen year old, for instance, could hear it. But maybe by the time you're 25 or 30, you couldn't be able to hear this. And it's talking very, very high frequency, above a dog whistle type frequency. And so we start to lose that pretty early on. And over time, what happens just from age, from noise exposure, uh, that frequencies, those high frequencies tend to get damaged more and more. And so they, and they eventually just don't repair themselves and we start to lose them. And that really is what age-related hearing loss is. Characteristically, it's a very high frequency hearing loss, lower frequencies, middle frequencies, sort of around the low left half of the piano keys towards middle C usually is preserved. But over time, even those can start to go. And so that kind of leads me to the fact that older adults tend to lose their hearing as they get older. It, you mentioned a couple of things in terms of what contributes to hearing loss. Go into a little bit more detail, because I'm thinking, too, as to young people who go to concerts and they hear this loud noise, you know, loud music and that. I'm assuming that might be one condition, but I suspect there's probably a lot of others that that contribute to older adults losing their hearing. Sure, sure. It is, and it's all sort of cumulative damage over time, just like, you know, aging skin is, is uh, sun exposure, things like that. The number one is, is uh, just being alive for longer because it just tends to, to age uh, and the resiliency of the ears and the ability to repair gets just uh, worn down over time. But the biggest one I think is probably noise exposure. And that again is cumulative damage, whether it's concerts or uh, machinery, a lot of veterans have uh, of hearing loss due to uh, noise exposure. Um, and so it's all of those sort of cumulative effects. Also, infections over time can certainly do it, whether you had a lot of infections uh, as a child or, or even into adulthood. Um, and then, you know, trauma, uh, sometimes people putting Q-tips or something in their ear, something that they shouldn't be putting in can cause damage to the, uh, to the eardrum and, and some hearing loss. But the main factors are, are, uh, are noise exposure and, and age. Which is a good lesson for young people to not go to loud concerts. It's and it's new, you know. It's not just that, Cheryl. It's it's also just cumulative over time. So you see people walking around with their earbuds in, listen to music. Uh, it is both uh, a you know a two hour loud concert is bad, but eight hours of even a fairly loud 
um, listening to to earbuds for a long period of time can uh, can can cause just as much, if not more, damage. Wow. Well, okay. So now we're talking about older adults. Uh, how do older adults know if they have a hearing problem? What what are, what are the well? We talked a bit a bit about the causes already, but mm-hmm. what are, what are the warning signs? So it, it unfortunately, it's typically a gradual loss. That's the most common thing we see. So a lot of folks won't even necessarily notice it. They, you know, you won't wake up typically one day and say, oh, I, I just can't hear. What I find most people complain about is, uh, number one, they're, they're, they're not understanding the television as well, uh, the volumes going up on the TV or the volumes going up on the radio in the car. Um, a complaint that a lot of people, especially their grandchildren, or younger kids are mumbling, um, which is partly true, but there is also a lack of of, uh, of just understanding because the hearing is not as good. And then also, I, I would say probably the number one thing is um, the person's partner, or again, their their children or grandchildren start complaining that they can't hear as well. Uh, and so it, it is sort of a you'll see most people come in and say, well, somebody's, you know, my wife or my husband is saying I can't hear, or my kids are saying I can't hear. Do listen to that a little bit because it often is a, a warning sign that you are not hearing as well. Um, because it is typically so gradual, you individually may not quite notice it because you just, this is the way it's always been. It's just been this gradual unnoticed, uh, unnoticed loss. So I, the main thing is I would say, if you're noticing everybody's mumbling, the volume's going up on your television and everybody else in your family is complaining. I think those are all good signs to come and at least get your hearing checked. And and just to clarify then, the different types that you've described, are, are those the different kinds of hearing loss or is it even more expansive than that in terms of you can hear certain things and you can't hear certain other things? Yes. Yeah, so it is, it's the two broad categories of hearing loss. There's one, the most common one, which is the more age-related hearing loss, falls under the category of sensory neural hearing loss, which means there's something going on typically within the cochlea or the nerve or within the brain. Uh, the the signals aren't getting to the brain or are not as processed as, as easily in the brain. So that's called a sensory neural hearing loss. There is something called a conductive hearing loss, which is where uh, the issue tends to be within the ear canal, the eardrum, or those three little bones. So the, the sound waves aren't being transmitted into the cochlea as well. And that would be a, typically, actually, a most common one would probably be a plug of earwax in your ear. There's a conductive hearing loss because the sound waves aren't getting in. Or, for instance, you have um, a middle ear infection, like an ear infection in a child causes a conductive hearing loss. Those are probably less common, especially under the uh, older population. But um, But the main cause, the one that is most related to age-related hearing loss would be that sensory neural. Okay. And now we've talked about the symptoms and the causes and that. If people are beginning to do, as you said, turning up the volume or mm-hmm. asking to repeat a question, is is medical attention required immediately? I mean, what's the ramifications of waiting? Are they, Is it going to lead to deafness? What would you tell us? So in I wouldn't necessarily say immediately if it's that gradual hearing loss. One thing that should be looked at immediately is if one day you wake up and the hearing's gone. That can be a sign of what's called idiopathic, meaning we don't know really the cause, idiopathic sudden sensory neural hearing loss. And that actually is a bit of an emergency. You really do need to see an ENT doctor within probably the day or two, 
maybe three, but usually within 48 hours. And the sign of that is basically, as you said, as I said, you will basically just wake up and there's no hearing in one ear. Um, other than that, typically speaking, as I said, it's gradual. And, it, you know, you should see uh, medical attention. You should see, make sure there isn't a plug of wax or something within the ear uh, to clear it out and to get your hearing tested. But if we're talking about the typical age-related hearing loss, it's not an emergency. But it is, it is certainly worth getting an examination and a, and a hearing test. And would you say that it could lead to deafness if it isn't treated in some way? Well, or is that a little extreme? It's probably more extreme. There is a progressive, slowly progressive hearing loss that's related to age, certainly. Um, So getting amplification, getting a set of hearing aids, or certainly monitoring the hearing loss is important. But again, it's sort of a gradual, a gradual process. So you know, over and over exposure to noise, sure, that can certainly lead to uh, fairly significant hearing loss uh, requiring, you know, strong hearing aids or, or other types of, of hearing assistance. Um, so the number one thing is when you do notice or believe that you have hearing loss, it's trying to avoid exacerbating it, you know, limiting noise exposure uh, as much as you can. One thing I I would like to hear more about, and I'm sure our listeners would as well, is why people with hearing loss symptoms postpone consulting a a hearing health provider. I'm always struck by the fact that most people don't have problems in terms of getting glasses if their vision is beginning to have some issues. But somehow hearing and the idea of hearing aids maybe strikes people more with terror, perhaps, or that's maybe a little bit strong. But help us understand more the psychological issues uh, that are associated with hearing loss. Sure. I I think I personally blame it on uh, fear of age and fear of getting older. Glasses, for whatever reason, I think because everybody, regardless of age, has seen uh, you know, children with glasses, people in their teens, 20s, 30s, a lot of people wear glasses. Typically speaking, hearing aids have always been sort of in the majority realm of, oh, my grandmother wore those and they were awful and they were big and it means I'm getting old. That's what I blame it on. I think there's some ageism uh, going on and I think there's a lot of fear of getting older. Uh, which is not true. I mean, every I mean, kids wear hearing aids. Uh, you know, everybody has hearing aids. But I do think that I would I would blame mostly on our on our society and our culture. We just don't want to get uh, admit that we're getting older, despite the fact that we all do. So, Doctor Mayberger, you talked about the that uh, seeing an otolaryngologist, an ENT person, which is what you are, is is the ENT the most likely person that uh, someone who's dealing with hearing loss should see first? Or what would you tell us in terms of the first steps if we're sensing sure. a hearing loss? I mean, I think certainly getting a check-in with a, a, a doctor is, is certainly reasonable, a medical doctor, certainly with an ENT. Uh, the other folks uh, that are key to this are the are the audiologists and hearing aid dispensers. You know, when somebody comes in, the, what, the, what I would do is, is make sure that everything is clear with the ear canal. There's no sign of disease within the ear. Uh, and then uh, the next step would be to get a hearing test. And the, and the uh, providers that do that are the doctors of audiology, the audiologists. And then depending upon some 
uh, places such as a, you know, a, a retail uh, establishment, maybe like a Costco, often will have a hearing aid dispenser. Um, and so both of those can do hearing tests, uh, but the audiologist has uh, um, some more training dealing with other more complicated uh, types of hearing loss uh, and hearing diseases. And then, of course, if there's anything abnormal that would be seen on the hearing test beyond just a typical age-related hearing loss, then um, then it would be referred to a, to an otolaryngologist like myself. Okay, so it is conceivable that a person, that some hearing loss might be detected if somebody, say, goes to their primary care doc. Would you agree? Yes. Yeah, I mean, there's some certain very basic screening tests that the primary care doc can start with and then say, yeah, let's get you to, to get, send you and refer you to get a, a hearing test. Yeah. Okay. So there would be a referral there. So, mm-hmm. so you talked about measuring hearing loss. Explain that process. What, what happens? What, what is done to, to test hearing loss? How are the, the test results interpreted? Uh, how often should people get this kind of test? Ex- give us a little tutorial on on hearing tests? So the basic test is called an, uh, it's called an audiogram. Uh, and you'll go into a hearing aid, uh, excuse me, a, a, a hearing testing booth, which is a you know, quiet room, insulated walls, small booth. Uh, and, the, uh, and the audiologist or whomever's giving the test will either put in some headphones or more likely little inserts in the, uh, in the ear canal there. And then they'll give you different frequencies or different tones low frequency all the way to high frequency. And they'll give those tones at a certain volume, decibel level technically, but similar to volume. Uh, And basically what they'll do is you'll press a button when you hear those tones and those sounds. And they will mark that on a chart to say, okay, at uh, 4,000 kilohertz or 4,000 hertz, which is fairly high frequency, you start to hear this sound at 30 decibels for say for instance and they'll mark that on a chart and those are that's called your your pure tones so what frequency and how loud is it when you can hear something and that's sort of looking at the quantity of hearing uh you know is there a hearing loss is there do you have normal hearing normal hearing is defined as basically if you can hear um uh certain frequencies above 25 uh, decibels, which is, or below 25 decibels, which is fairly quiet. The next part of the test is called speech discrimination. And what that is, is the audiologist will have you repeat several words, uh, it's like hot dog or sidewalk at a comfortable level and see how many of those words you get correct after hearing them once. Uh, and that is, I equate to the quality of your hearing. Uh, some people have a hearing loss where you may be able to crank up the volume, uh, but it still sounds like what I say is Charlie Brown's teachers. You you get the quantity of hearing, but the quality isn't necessarily great. There are some other tests. There's uh, something called a tympanogram, which measures the compliance of the eardrum, uh, how, uh, how much it moves in and out. Uh, those are probably the three basic tests that most people will have at the audiologist. Uh, and from that, you can determine the severity of hearing loss. Uh, there's a general sense of how well somebody would do with hearing aids. Um, and so that, that's, that's the major workhorse test that most everybody would go through when they're, when they're coming in and complaining that they, they may not be able to hear very well. And how often should a person get this test? 
I think it, it depends upon age and severity of hearing loss. I usually tell people it's sort of like your eyes, you know, you might get your eyes checked once a year, maybe every two years. Uh, if there's a significant hearing loss or it seems to be uh, your, your hearing loss may be going at a more rapid rate than more frequently would certainly be be called for. But on average, probably once once a year, maybe every two years, depending upon how stable the hearing loss is. And when you look at the results of the test, uh, then do you, what do you tell your patients then? What, how do you advise them in terms of, well, it's time for a hearing aid versus, well, you've got a couple of years. How, how do you interpret what next steps are uh, based on the test results? Sure. So I think you kind of have to look at the whole picture. Um, there is no specific cutoff for at this frequency, you get hearing aids or you don't need one. Uh, certainly, you know, anybody who has a hearing loss is eligible and could get hearing aids. Um, but I usually look at the whole picture. You know, is it fairly mild, only in the upper, upper frequencies and everything else is fine? And the, pa- and then the patient seems to be functioning well and there's no complaints, then yeah, I'd probably monitor it and maybe check them back in a year. If there's a lot of, um, misunderstanding. Uh, if the patient starts to feel that they're sort of withdrawing from social groups, that's some, one thing we see quite a bit is instead of asking everybody to repeat themselves over and over again, a lot of times uh, patients will just withdraw and sit back and kind of smile and nod at a conversation, not because they don't want to participate in the conversation, but because they can't hear what's going on. If that's a factor, then I strongly would encourage people to try some some amplification devices, some hearing aids. We need to exercise our brains, and one way to do that is to be in a social group, in a social setting, and laugh and chat and, and discuss and debate. Uh, and if you can't hear what's going on, then you're not going to participate in that. Now, that's not a good thing. And the other factor is if certainly if you're working um, and you, again, are in meetings and you're you're not picking up or unable to hear what's going on. That's also a major, major factor. So looking at all those things, that whole picture puts together whether or not um, somebody should get hearing aids. If there's any of those things are going on, I would strongly, strongly encourage uh, trying a pair. And one condition that also seems to show up more as a person gets older is and I want to make sure I pronounce this correctly. When I was in nursing school, it was tinnitus. Tinnitus. But... It's tomato, tomato. It is tomato, tomato. Okay. Go with, go with tinnitus. It, okay. Well, I just wanted to be sure that I was pronouncing it correctly. I mean, people hear about tinnitus so often. Explain to us what are the causes, the symptoms? Is there any treatment? And in fact, I want to ask one question that's related to what you're talking about in terms of tests. Can the presence of tinnitus also um, uh, make some uh, disruption in how you uh, do the, the audiometry tests? So lots of questions here, but help us on that. Yeah, it's because it's a big topic. Um, and unfortunately, we don't have the true answer as to what causes it? We don't know. We The theory is, and I think it's probably the most likely theory, the current theory is it is most often and typically related to hearing loss. Uh, they are almost hand in glove. Not everybody who has hearing loss has uh, tinnitus. Not everybody who has tinnitus has hearing loss, but usually there's going to be this, this, this a strong overlap. What we think causes it is it's something created centrally, something created in the brain. 
And the analogy would be to a patient who's had an amputation, for instance, and has phantom limb pain. There's, as, you know, there's no nerve going to the foot anymore, for instance, if the patient had, their, had to have a foot or toe amputated. But there still is pain that's being recognized in the brain. So the thought with uh, tinnitus is you are not getting a strong signal at those frequencies anymore. And so the brain is trying to make up for that by creating this noise. And tinnitus, the definition is you are hearing this, this noise that, is, uh, that you can hear, but it's, it's not around. Nobody else can hear it. It's, it's created in the brain. So people describe it as a ringing or a roar or uh, crickets or maybe an ocean sound. It can vary from person to person in terms of what the sound is and the frequency of the sound. Um, but that's the sort of the general idea of what it is and perhaps what causes it. And the symptom is that. It's basically you're, you know, you're sitting there, it's a quiet room and you hear this sort of sound or, or whatever sound it may be. And that's, that's, it's a subjective sound that you can't quite pick up on. In terms of the testing, you know, you, you, you might be able to adjust for it. It certainly does make it harder, but typically what we'll find is, is, is there will be a hearing loss associated with folks who, who complain of, of having that tinnitus. Um, treatment wise, hearing aids, amplification can be helpful. Um, a simple, the simple solutions often are the best. And so for instance, at nighttime, if you are having trouble sleeping or you really notice it when you're going to bed, a little background noise is quite helpful, whether it's a fan or a noise machine or an app on your phone that is a white noise machine, just to give your brain something else to listen to can be very helpful. There are no great medications for it. Um, you know, there are over-the-counter things which have never been proven to be better than placebo in terms of helping. There are some cognitive behavioral therapies to sort of learn to deal with it. Um, and that's, that's sort of what we have in our armamentarium. And is it likely then that once an older adult has this condition that they're going to live with it the rest of their lives? Most likely, to some extent. Uh, what I find, though, is, is once you've sort of had a discussion with it and, and, and understand it and understand what it is, it does seem to fade into the background over time. Um, but again, it's like a lot of other things, you know, I don't have the best back, you know, you start to learn to live with these things, um, quite well actually, but, um, but yes, it is, it is something you certain we have to learn to adapt to. It's another aging matter, right? Another aging matter, correct. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to take a short break right now for an important message. First of all, if you tuned in late, we are talking with Dr. Patrick Mayberger, an otolaryngologist with the ENT Medical Group of Washington. And you're listening to WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Welcome back. 
We're talking with Dr. Patrick Mayberger, an otolaryngologist with the ENT Medical Group of Washington and learning everything about hearing. And uh, first half of the program, we got a lot of information about hearing losses in terms loss in terms of uh, causes and symptoms, and we learned about tinnitus. And so before we talk more about hearing aids, which is a really important part of this program today, uh, Dr. Mayberger, are there any surgical procedures that are used to treat hearing loss? Uh, is there certain criteria that's, that a person has to have in order for that to be the treatment of choice? And talk about that and maybe the success. Sure. So I mentioned, you know, of the two types of hearing loss, the sensory neural and the conductive. There are certainly more types of surgery for the conductive type of hearing loss, you know, whether it's repairing a hole in the eardrum, uh, replacing those, one of those or so, all of those uh, three little bones that can be done surgically. Uh, and that's quite successfully. Um, and, you know, your uh, ENT doctor will discuss those things with you, whether you'd be a good candidate for that um, and whether it would truly help your hearing. There are not nearly as many surgical options for the age-related or sensory neural type hearing loss. The main one, which many people may have heard of, is uh, a cochlear implant. Uh, and that is a surgery that essentially takes a uh, electrode and a computer and implants it into the cochlea into the hearing itself. And that computer sends a strong electrical signal uh, into the nerve of, uh, into the hearing nerve and directly into the brain. And that actually can restore hearing. Uh, it's, uh, they're working on it for vision, but as of now, it's really the only sense that we can restore. Um, criteria for that though, is you have to have a fairly significant, severe um, uh, type, severe to profound type uh, hearing loss at this point. It used to be bilateral, used to have both ears affected, although they are looking at and studying whether it's worth doing it if you have just one-sided deafness. Um, but typically, you, in order to get to that cochlear implant stage, you would have had to have tried and, and uh, unsuccessfully tried hearing aids. So short of that surgery, the main treatment for, uh, for age-related and sensory neural hearing loss is going to be amplification. All right. Well, and, and one final question about surgery then. I, I, in your practice, do you, especially for older adults, do, do you perform this surgery very much or? For the, in our practice, for the conductive hearing loss, yes, certainly. We do not perform cochlear implants ourselves in the practice. Most of those are going to be done at uh, larger major medical centers. Okay. Okay. And people should be aware of that. And I would assume they, they're advised of that. Correct. So, you know, typically what we'll do is if it's fairly severe, you try to, you, you basically try to give the strongest hearing aid you can, uh, pos uh, that strongest hearing aid possible that is most effective. And if that is not functioning enough, then we'll, we'll get you to a, a, uh, an ENT that, that will be able to put in the implant for you. Okay. Well, let's go on to now the, the devices that help hearing loss. Are there different kinds of hearing aids? And I think people really, you know, they worry about the fact that they may have to, to have a hearing aid. Uh, how do you start uh, advising people about what they need to know uh, about hearing aids? Sure. I mean, my, my typical spiel is, is hearing aids are like cars. There's, you know, tons of different types. 
SUVs, you know, hatchbacks, whatever, whatever you're talking about. And the same with hearing aids. My recommendation is, is typically start with probably the most uh, common hearing aid you'll see, which is uh, behind the ear. So it's a little clear wire typically that goes into the ear canal with the little, uh, the hearing, the actual hearing aid, the receiver uh, part behind that sits behind the ear and i tell people try it out you know we're we're happy to have people um, uh, sign a pair out and try it for a couple of days and see if they can live with it um and those are usually comfortable uh easy to deal with uh and and quite effective in terms of type of hearing aid you have that behind the ear then you have ones that are more molded uh to the uh to the ear canal uh there's ones that are completely in the ear, completely in the canal type hearing aids, which nobody can see. They just look like a little earplug and they sit right in and nobody would be able to tell that you have one in. Uh, you walk around and even I, if, you know, walking down the street, wouldn't be able to tell. Then they have sort of more larger in the canals uh, as well, which are sort of stick out a little bit more, but still pretty cosmetically invisible. Uh, and then, of course, as I mentioned, the behind the ears, uh, which also are not that visible. Um, especially if you've got even slightly longer hair, uh, it hides behind the ear, uh, the ear itself, uh, quite nicely. And I'm thinking you have women as well as men who have hearing loss. Do you advise that different types, uh, is the behind the ear or in the ear better for women than men? What would you say? I think it depends upon your, uh, what you'll be doing and, and, sort of your use of it. I, th I would say probably the, the behind the ears are the most common because I think they're the easiest to deal with. Um, it's not so much women and men uh, in term. I mean, if cosmetics is an issue, it's, that's both an issue amongst women and men. But if you do have just even slightly longer hair, it doesn't even be that long. It's basically uh, hidden behind the ears. You know, for instance, if you had a very, very short cropped hair, or bald, uh, then you may, then somebody would probably be able to notice it if they're walking behind you, which is not a big deal. Uh, but if that is an a important concern to you, then you could certainly try the, the ones that are molded to within the, the ear canal itself. Uh, those are obviously great cosmetically, although the comfort factor is there too, because it, it does feel like you're wearing an earplug. Um, so some people don't like that. And so if that's the case, then the, the one that sits behind the ear with what we call more of an open fit, uh, which is just this little uh, basically speaker that goes inside the ear uh, is more what uh, might be a better choice. You just have to try them out and see what you want uh, and what it works best for you. And also, might the hearing loss be different from one ear? You know, in, in terms of both ears, you usually get the same would you wear both hearing aids? Would you wear, or, yeah. So we, yeah, I mean, uh, again, I would recommend if you, if you have hearing loss in both ears, which there's the vast, vast, vast majority, if you have hearing loss in one, you'll have it in the other. And typically speaking, it is symmetric, you know, pretty typically both ears should match up closely and you should, I think for ease of function, for full function of your ears, you should have a pair of hearing aids rather than one. Uh, again, it, you know, you can walk around with a monocle if you want to, but it's better to wear, you know, two glasses instead of just the one. Uh, same with the ears. We hear in stereo. We're able to assess where sounds are coming from because we hear in stereo. If you're just amplifying one ear, it, it's it's more difficult. So um, 
having a hearing aid in, in both ears is definitely strongly encouraged. And let's talk about brands. I mean, I'm sure there's probably many on the market. Yes. Um, so help us on that and also about financial uh, assistance because I understand they're pretty expensive. So what would you what do you tell your patients? I, so in terms of brand, it sounds like a cop out, but basically whatever works best for you. You know, again, going back to the cars, whether you want a Chevy or a Toyota or a Lexus or a Bentley or, uh, you know, a, a, a scooter, you know, the, the like that, there are multiple different brands. There, some have, you know, maybe a slightly different type of technology or interface. It's just something where you have to sort of see what you're most comfortable with. For the most part, what it comes down to, you know, the main brands of hearing aids all work pretty well. They're all fairly equivalent. What it comes down to is is uh, is the, the programming, I think, of the hearing aid and the ability to adjust it to your hearing. And that's really where you should work pretty closely with your audiologist to, uh, to, to achieve the best that you can get out of that hearing aid. Now, and financially, um, it is not it's typically not covered by insurance. Medicare, for instance, does not, as uh, as far as I know it yet, have any sort of hearing aid benefit. Now, the secondary insurers often do, uh, and depends upon what insurance you have. But it could be, you know, a thousand dollars per ear, or maybe even two or two thousand or twenty five hundred dollars. Depends upon what your in, that secondary insurance has. And that usually is good. You can do that once every maybe three to five years. So if it's, you know, say 1500 per year, then, uh, then that could cover up $3,000, which would take actually probably a big chunk out of, uh, out of most hearing aids for you. And I, I wanted to just step back in terms of working with, it's usually an audiologist that mm -hmm. helps you. Correct. How long can that process? I mean, can you go home and kind of test it out? or and, yes. and And what happens if you don't like it? Describe more a little bit about that process of, of getting the right fit and the right uh, program or, or whatever. Yeah. So let's think of those sort of behind the ear ones. Uh, those are the easiest to fit because it just sits behind your ear and you just measure the wire and it's got a little silicone umbrella that just sort of sits in the ear. So those are the easiest ones to, to, to sort of deal with. What the audiologist will do is look at your, um, your hearing test, the audiogram, and import that uh, hearing loss into and program the hearing aid specifically for your hearing loss. So say for instance, typical age related hearing loss will only have a hearing loss in the very high in the in the upper frequencies. And so the hearing aid will be programmed just to amplify those frequencies. The ones in the lower range, lower register, it doesn't amplify at all. So it just amplifies what you need and then uses your native hearing uh, to to pick up the rest. And so it'll be programmed for that. And then sometimes people will notice, well, I'm picking up too much background noise or I'm getting feedback. So that level of amplification and where it's amplified can be adjusted by the audiologist. Um, and so that's the, that's sort of the interplay there. Again, most people, uh, a lot of people have glasses. You know, you go in, they you get your prescription, they they fill it, they grind the lenses down and give them to you. But sometimes there needs to be a bit of an adjustment. Uh, and that's sort of the same idea with the uh, audiologist and the hearing aids. 
And you were talking about uh, adjusting the program. So if the hearing loss, say, gets worse or some changes are needed, would a person then have to go back to the audiologist to have them make the changes in the program? Yes. Or how does that work? Yeah, correct. Now, with there are... Yes. So, so if you, in say a year or two after you get your hearing aids, well, it's not working as well. I'm not hearing as well. They can give you a little bit of boost in the program. A lot of the hearing aids too also have different settings that are programmed within them. Say for instance, if you're having a small conversation versus uh, listening to a concert versus having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. So it will adjust automatically sort of for those, for those types of settings to sort of boost, um, boost your hearing for those for those uh, for those types of areas you'll be in. One thing I wanted to ask was a little bit about what's happened during the pandemic. You mentioned about people wearing uh, hearing aids behind their ears and now of course mm -hmm. we all have been wearing our masks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's that experience been like for people wearing hearing aids and putting on and taking off their masks? It has been difficult. I think people have adjusted over the past year plus that we've had, have had to be wearing masks. Certainly earlier on, I think there were a lot of, of, of missing hearing aids. Um, it is just difficult. I mean, because again, you have the hearing aids plus the ear loop mask, and then a lot of times throwing glasses on top of it. So there's a lot going on behind the ears. Uh, you know, the, the best thing, if you're still wearing a mask, is if you could get one that has a loop that goes behind your head and your neck. So it's not looped around your ears, but short of that, the the best idea is just to be cognizant of it and um, and and try to uh, just be careful taking the ear loops off. The other thing is make sure and probably you know stack one on top of the other so you're not. I would put the hearing aids on first and then put the ear loops so they're on the outside, uh, sitting outside of the, the the hearing aids. That sort of seems to be the the best trick we have. And have you also heard, do your patients complain about the fact that they lose their hearing aids? And what do you tell them? Or what, what's the solution to that problem? Um, certainly, it's a, it, is a, it is a problem. I mean, the solution is basically to, um, you know, charge them over. Because a lot of things I didn't mention, a lot of the hearing aids now you can charge overnight on a stand, on a bedside stand, instead of having to change out batteries, which is just a, it's a wonderful thing. And I would strongly encourage anybody who gets hearing aids to try to get the one that you can charge, the ones that charge on a bedside, uh, bedside, because it's just much easier. But basically keep them in your ears. Don't take them out unless you're, you know, unless you're going to go swimming or in the shower or you're going to bed. Other than that, keep them in your ears. That's the best place for them. All right. I also was wondering, sometimes you see somebody who's wearing a hearing aid and they, they're trying to adjust something and they say, oh, I have this irritating sound feedback. What, what's that about and what can be done? So it's like it's, it's a feedback on, on any other sort of microphone and speaker. Uh, and essentially, when it comes down to it, that's what a hearing aid is. It's a very, very sophisticated microphone and speaker that are sitting right next to each other. Uh, and so keeping the ears clean, making sure there isn't a plug of wax sitting right in front of that speaker uh, is, is very helpful. Making sure that they're fitting properly, uh, making sure that they're sitting in the ear canal properly. Uh, because if they are sitting in and fitting properly and there's, it, it's, it's where it's supposed to be, you should not be getting much, uh, much feedback. And then the other thing too is, is 
hearing aids have as much technology now as what's crammed into your your iphone or your computer so unfortunately fortunately and unfortunately uh the the newer ones the better technology that's put into them the the better they work uh and so if it's a particularly older hearing aid you may notice that it's generating a little bit more feedback than than the newer ones um so just number one make sure your ear canals are clean then you have a good fit a good fitting hearing aid and then if it's really bothering you sometimes some of the newer ones have um, uh, better technology and and, uh, are able to suppress that uh, a little bit better than older hearing aids and you mentioned before also about background noise is does the the uh, model of the hearing aid uh, help to kind of uh, quiet that more than you know a newer model say than an older what how can people handle that problem? So yes, to a certain extent is what I'll say. The technology they have can sort of try to filter out uh, some of the more annoying background noise if it's sort of constant. But if you're in, it's hard for the for the programming to know what you specifically want to listen to and what you want to filter out. So it is better but uh, unfortunately, there is, you know, like anything else, any sort of amplification, it's going to pick out just about everything. The brain in and of itself, and the more you wear the hearing aids and get used to hearing these, these uh, sounds again, has a better job, does a better job of being able to filter out the background noise on its own. Um, and so wearing them and getting used to them can be very helpful for that, uh, for that as well. And what's what is meant by a so-called dead hearing aid? Is that when the batteries need to be changed? And you just mentioned before about programmatic. Uh, help us on that. So a dead hearing aid essentially is it's it's just not functioning. It's not a matter of changing the batteries out. Uh, maybe it got wet. Maybe the electronics just went. Uh, maybe just wore out. Um, most hearing aids will come with a warranty. And if you come in and, and it's still within that, I think it's a couple of years, two to three years, maybe even five on some, uh, you come in with that warranty period, uh, you can send it back and they can, they can typically repair it. Uh, if it's run out of its warranty, then essentially you're going to be almost buying a, a new hearing aid. And it might be worth uh, just investing in a new, a new, a new pair with, uh, again, with that slightly better technology. Um, but I, I would say, look, if you have them and they're still, you know, it's it's relatively cost feasible to get get it repaired, then then that's certainly a reasonable thing to do. And how often should people upgrade their hearing aids? I mean, does it depend on their the loss or what? What would you tell them? Uh, it depends upon the loss if it's progressing, and then depends upon what you want out of it. Um, you know, if it's particularly old, it's not going to necessarily have Bluetooth or connect to your phone. Is that something you want or don't want? Uh, is it uh, need? Is it in need of repair? If they're perfectly functioning hearing aids and they continue to work, then you know, and it's still doing what it needs to be doing, then that's certainly fine. You you can keep them going. Um, if you want, if you're more of a uh, techie and you want the latest and greatest, then you'll you'll upgrade more uh, more readily, I'm sure. Uh, but if if it really is, if they're bothering you, or uh, or if your hearing loss is progressing uh, to the point where that type of hearing aid that you have is not strong enough, then yeah, you'd, you'd have to upgrade to something a little bit a little bit stronger. And because you're wearing the hearing aids all the time, can you actually get sore ears? Can it irritate the skin? It, uh, if they are not fitting properly, then yes, certainly it, it, it can be. Again, that goes back to uh, to to the fit and is it is it sitting in the ear canal comfortably? 
if they're well fit, um, then they really shouldn't cause any issue. Uh, but if you have sort of a, it's pressing on one area versus another, it's not properly sitting within the ear canal, or if you have you know, a molded type of, of hearing aid and then there's a, a rough spot on it or a bump on it that that's not there, then, uh, then that can cause, cause an issue and, and would need to be adjusted, whether it's sort of remolded or ground and that part of the mold ground down, then, uh, then, then that can be done. And I was going to start asking questions about personal sound amplification products, but I just wanted to make sure, did I miss anything and that you also tell people about hearing aids just to make sure that they've got a complete understanding of what they need to know? I think, you know, it is, there are a lot of companies, there are a lot of options. Um, I think go with what uh, you think you will need uh, for you, Uh, you know, just because it's, uh, you know, you don't need the the hearing aid necessarily that has all the bells and whistles, especially if you're only going to be using it, uh, you know, for for a little bit of conversation, depending upon what your what your your general life is like. Um, so you don't necessarily need to spend get the most expensive. Uh, I probably wouldn't get the very cheapest either, because it's like anything else. You know, you probably want somewhere in the middle, not the most expensive, not the least expensive, but somewhere probably in the middle. Um, and then, yeah, have a good relationship with your with the person who's giving you the hearing aids. Go back if it's not working for you. See if you can get it adjusted because it, it is a lot of money, and I think it's it's worth trying to to work with the with the audiologist or the hearing aid dispenser to sort of see if you can get the uh, get the most out of it. And don't give up. Keep keep trying. Don't just don't just put them in once and say I can't stand it and and put them in the in the drawer. Keep keep working with them because it does take some time to adjust to it to it, and it's it's better for you to to have hearing than not. Good advice, Dr. Mayberg. I wanted to ask about personal sound amplification mm-hmm. products. What what are those? So they, I mean, there's a huge variety. Uh, of what they could be anything from sort of the tv ears which basically are a set of headphones plugged into the tv which have been which are very helpful actually uh typically speaking they are more analog type devices that just amplify everything around so unlike the hearing aid which is programmed to your hearing loss where it's only going to amplify say the high frequency and leave the low frequencies alone most of them are uh just you know we're just gonna here's a speaker here's a microphone uh, and it's just going to amplify everything. And, and, you know, they can, they, they do work. Uh, will you want to wear one for the whole day? I don't know. Probably not. Uh, they're the, what they have going for them is they're typically relatively inexpensive and they can get the sound up pretty well. So, so in certain instances, uh, they can be very helpful. There are more over the counter hearing aids now, which have, um, are generally set to the most common types, the most typical types of hearing loss. Again, not specifically um, programmed to your hearing loss, but sort of the general populace. And I would say it's sort of like readers you could get at the at the grocery store. You know, you just have a couple different types, a couple different magnifications on the readers. Same thing with these type of hearing aids. So again, functional, less uh, certainly less expensive, but uh, may not be quite enough for you. I'm also wondering, I actually did a TV program about uh, products that you can get 
that for people who are hard of hearing, maybe mm-hmm. like telephones that mm-hmm. flash or whatever. Sure. What do people do? Your patients ask you about those, and do you recommend them, or what's your advice? Absolutely. I mean, there there are something called caption call and clear caption, which can set up uh, basically a closed captioning for telephone calls. Those can be excellent ways of communication. Um, there are apps like even. Uh, on a phone like Google Translate will be able to listen to what you're what is being said and and it'll type it out for you. Um, there's another thing called AVA AVA, AVA uh, again sort of uh, closed captioning for an in-person conversation. All those things can be quite helpful um, helpful to use and and again keep uh, continuing communication keeping people engaged with their family and friends is is important uh, and so those things can be quite helpful and are, are there any particular places that you recommend that they uh, can get those uh, what do you tell oh, sure i mean so the caption call it's on it's online it's uh, captioncall.com or clear captions is another service clearcaptions.com uh, if you go on online there, they have uh, they can get you set up and uh, basically free installation and support. Um, Google Translate's available on your phone or I think over the internet. Um, so there's a lot of resources. There's um, there's the Tinnitus Association as well that has uh, people who suffer from from tinnitus. Uh, hearingloss.org and then entnetnet.org also has some good resources for folks. Uh, with uh, with hearing loss and, and has questions for further uh, further information. I was going to say too. I cannot remember the actual episode number, but I did uh, do a TV program on aging matters that talks about various devices. So mm-hmm. I would encourage uh, listeners to check out the TV show uh, Aging Matters uh, as well. So I wanted to ask you one more question. Can you honestly say, is age-related hearing loss preventable? And if so, what do you tell people? I think it is. Uh, it's, it should be started early in terms of limit, limiting noise exposure. Uh, but even, uh, even once you develop it, uh, it's important to limit noise exposure. So, for instance, if you go out and mow the lawn, put the, the, the headphones on or earplugs in, any sort of power equipment, do that. Give your ears a rest, too. Uh, you know, if you're, if you have music on in the background or you, uh, are listening to ear pods or podcasts, you know, don't do it all day, give it a break, even just a little bit of rest every hour or so just taking just a little quiet, uh, is going to be helpful to let the, uh, to let the ears recover. And I guess the other uh, part of that, too, it is hearing loss. If your parents or relatives had hearing loss, I, I guess it's more likely, too, that you're, you are probably going to have some hearing loss. Would you? I think so. I mean, there certainly are genetic causes of hearing loss, familial causes. But in general, I would say, you know, it's interesting. Some people have uh, very, can have the same level of noise exposure, person A versus person B, person A suffers from hearing loss, person B does not. There must be something that within the resiliency of that inner ear or the nerve that, that explains that. So I think there is sort of a, maybe a familial trait where you'll see, well, my parents had hearing loss. I probably will too. Uh, and I, I think there's something to that. Yes. Okay. You had mentioned already now, my final question of, of some, uh, resources. Anything else that you recommend to people so that they really understand about hearing loss and are properly prepared? Best resources. 
I, again, I, I go back probably to hearingloss.org, uh, entnet.org are probably two good places to start. Uh, and also just, you know, don't be embarrassed. Get your hearing tested. You may also, maybe the maybe your grandkids do mumble and your hearing is perfectly normal or, or, or close to normal. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't fear getting your hearing checked out and uh, I wouldn't fear getting hearing aids either. They can be really, really helpful uh, and sort of uh, restore your ability to, uh, to get back into the world as well. All right. Well, I want to thank Dr. Patrick Mayberger, otolaryngologist with the ENT Medical Group of Washington, for joining me today. Now, if you would like to learn more about Aging Matters, including that TV program, the episode that I mentioned, best way to do so is to go to our website, www.agingmattersonline.com. And you can, at this site, you can access all Aging Matters radio and TV show content that we've been doing. And also, find that all of the radio programs are now on podcast on Apple and Spotify. And there's a link on the main page to to do that. You can also subscribe to the Aging Matters monthly email newsletter. And that way, each month, you'll receive updates about new radio shows and the TV episodes. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media. If you want to learn more about that company, log on to inkmouthmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters again today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. Aging Matters is brought to you in part by Kathy Corridan, Senior Real Estate Specialist. Kathy is a realtor with KW Metro Center in Alexandria and works with seniors in Alexandria, Arlington, and D.C. to make selling their home and moving less stressful and more successful. More information is available at 703-971-7237 or ccatkw at gmail.com. Thank you.